and welcome to another episode of Planning People, the NMA podcast. I'm Natasha Turner, NMA's Features Editor, and this week we're looking at the gender pay gap reporting requirements. So firms with more than 250 employees were required to publish their first gender pay gap reports by 4th of April last year, and that deadline is coming around again for the second time of the reporting requirements. So what does all this have to do with advice firms? Well, here to explain everything is Innes Miller. Innes is a former head of business services at Standard Life, but he now directs paygaps.com, which does diversity and gender pay gap analytics for companies large and small. So thanks for being here with us. How are you doing? Very well, thanks. Okay, good. Uh, so uh, to start off, this is something that Ollie, I hear, enforces. Uh, we're going to start with a little quiz. It's meant to be quite fun. Uh, okay. See how that goes. <laughs> sure. Uh, I don't know what these questions are. Ollie has set them, so we'll see. So he has based this around uh, 4th of April, because that was the deadline last year. Great. So this quiz is all based on things that happened on 4th of April. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit obscure. We'll see how it goes. So the first question, it says, 4th of January 2000. It was the millennium. He's written, this is so Ollie. It was a time of hope, a time of achievement, a time for radical ideas and partying. On the 4th of January 2000, Catherine Hartley said she was absolutely elated to have completed what challenge? I also didn't know this. <laughs> Catherine Hartley? Yeah. Um, did she cycle around the world on her bike? No, but that's a good guess. Uh, she, her and Fiona Thornwill became the first British women to reach the South Pole. Ah, okay. So there we go. I don't think they're all quite in the same gender ilk going on from here. But uh, anyway, okay. question two. So the 4th of April was a very important day for which multi-billionaire computer magnate? Um, could that obscure. have been <laughs> Bill Gates? It was, yeah. 4th of April, 1975. Bill Gates and Paul Allen established Microsoft. Uh, I see why these put this in. He said, Microsoft published a gender pay gap report last year for its UK operations, saying that for every one pound earned by its male employees, female counterparts earned 99.8 pence at the same job title level. Which isn't the worst. It's not. Right? <laughs> but I suspect they've used a completely different methodology really? to the UK one. But we'll come on and okay, talk about yeah, that. We'll yeah, come yeah on absolutely. To that. All right, let's, <laughs> let's burn through this quiz. Okay, birth question. Which Australian actor, sadly no longer with us, was born on 4th of April 1979? Oh, he's put a clue. Uh, he was the Joker. <laughs> he was born in 1979, Australian yeah. actor. Gosh, I'm not massive on films. I'm going to have to pass on that one. He was also, so he was in 10 Things I Hate About You. Mm. Not the most feminist film for Ollie to film, <laughs> anyway. I can't think uh, of that. Heath Ledger. Keith oh, Keith oh, Keith yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, okay. There we go. Uh, gosh, right, two more. Another birth question. Um, American civil rights activist, author, poet, actor and director, she said, if you don't like something, change it. If you can't change it, change your attitude. Who was she? Wait, who wrote who was she? Wait, what? Okay, <laughs> we'll cut that out. Who was she? <laughs> I have, again, I've got absolutely no idea. It's Maya Angelou. Okay. Uh, which, uh, apparently she was presented by Barack Obama with the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2011. Good achievement. So there we go. And last okay. one, before we get on to the real meat here. 
Um, 4th of April 1983, the American Space Shuttle made its maiden voyage into space, but how many women were on board? It's a trick question. None. There were none. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so... Fun fact, apparently the first female crew member came later that year, who was Sally Christian Ride in the STS-7 mission on 18th of June. Okay, all right. There we go. Anyway, Good. so got one of those right, that's fine. But moving on, we are talking today about the gender pay gap report. Uh, just so anyone who maybe hasn't been paying attention over the past year, could you just summarise what is the gender pay gap and what are the reporting requirements? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So um, the reporting legislation um, was passed in, in early early 20, uh, 2017 um, mm -hmm. by Parliament and um, organisations um, had effectively uh, just over a year um, from when it was passed in the middle of uh, February in 2017 um, to prepare their gender pay gap reports. Mm -hmm. And um, as you mentioned, gender pay gap reporting applies to any organisation, public or private sector mm -hmm. with more than 250 employees. Um, at the time, interestingly, the government didn't quite know exactly um, uh, how many companies and organisations um, would be required to report mm -hmm. and um, numbers kind of fluctuated from between um, 9,000 um, uh, uh, and 13,000. Gender pay gap reporting, um, I think importantly, um, is not about equal pay um, mm -hmm. and even today, there are still um, quite a few people out there, um, and even journalists for that matter, um, who actually conflate it. They yeah. get it kind of mixed up. Um, and What's I think a simple distinction between the two? So equal pay is if you and I are doing the same job, mm -hmm. okay, and I am getting paid £10,000 a year more. Mm -hmm. um, that is actually illegal. Um, it has been since, uh, uh, since uh, 2010, uh, when the Equal Pay Act uh, came into being. Um, the gender pay gap um, is about something quite different. It is about the representation um, of women primarily within senior positions um, in organisations. And really what the government is trying to do is to expose the fact that many organisations do not have the structures and processes in place to allow women to actually make the best of their careers. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, one of the big sort of you know, blockers that we, you know, we'll, we'll come on and talk about later on um, is what many people sort of consider or sort of call the motherhood penalty. Yeah. So you get to a point in your life and you want to have family, you want to have children, you come out of the workplace, you might be out for, you know, might be nine months, but in a lot of cases that can be more than that. And of mm -hmm. course, you know, things move on during that time. So there's a big question around, okay, well, you know, how, you know, how as, as, as a female, if you're in that situation, how can you stay engaged how can you actually make sure that um, you know your employer is actually helping you and providing you with the best chance that when you do return to work, um, your career will be able to continue um, as was before, given all of the extra responsibilities um, and challenges that, 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 that yeah. family life brings. So gender pay gap reporting um, really has been about um, you know highlighting um, uh, organisations um, where there is a, a big gender pay gap and where they really need to sort of think um, quite seriously about what they can do to then actually close that gap, and there are a number of ways um, in which that can actually um, that, that that can actually happen. So it is important. I think the other interesting point about it is is that you know, the government themselves could actually have published this information. Right, they already have this data. Okay. So the way that the ONS works, the Office of National Statistics, is that they also publish gender pay gap data. 
And where these numbers come from, that data comes from, is from PAYE. Mm -hmm. So every one in 14 employees, they will take the data from that employee and then they will put together um, their analysis and put together the data. The, way, the reason for constructing um, the gender pay gap reporting methodology in the way that they did um, was because they wanted organisations themselves to, to take responsibility, it, yeah. exactly, to, to engage with it, to look at the data and to understand why their numbers were the way they were and to encourage conversations within the boardroom and within exec among executives to actually say, right, okay, well, this is our position. Um, actually, it really doesn't look that good at all. Um, what are we going to do about it? Mm -hmm. um, so it was very much about trying to sort of, you know, encourage them, as I say, to, you know, to take responsibility um, and to think about what they would then need to do mm -hmm. to change. And so we're nearly coming up to the deadline now for the second year of reporting. Um, and the, the FT reported in December. At that point, there had only been I think it was a 0.4% drop, something like that, from April. So that's not... That's not massive, and we've just got a few months left now. Is it not being taken seriously? Are people not engaging with it, even the ones that have reported already? It's very mixed. Okay. It's very mixed. Um, there are organisations um, that are taking this um, very seriously, um, and you know, in particular, um, the FTSE 350s. So, you know, in addition to gender pay gap reporting, there is also the Hampton Alexander review. Yeah. They're also publishing data and information. Uh, around the gender balance um, uh, uh, of um, uh, you know, senior executives, uh, what the board um, actually looks like. Um, there are employers that understand that um, if they want to remain relevant in the future, if they want to be able to attract the best talent, um, then they have to make sure that they equally appeal to both males um, uh, and females. Mm -hmm. So the organisations that are taking this seriously um, are the ones that care. They probably have quite a strong sort of social purpose. And are they, they doing want better? Are they doing better? Yeah. Um, it's difficult to say at this point in time. I mean, this is mm -hmm. something that we're very keen to look at, is actually to sort of look at the data mm -hmm. and to start to draw comparisons between um, how an organisation is performing from a, a, a gender balance and, a, you know, from a diversity perspective, and then linking that into overall, you know, financial performance. Mm -hmm. um, there have been studies done um, that do suggest that um, absolutely, you know, there is a correlation yeah. there. Um, like everything else, you know, you can actually sort of, um, you know, highlight potential flaws um, uh, in these methodologies. But I think broadly and in a very sort of general sense, we can say that, yeah, um, these organisations do tend to sort of perform um, better. Mm -hmm. So I think that that is something that um, you know, more CEOs um, are now beginning to recognise and thinking about what that actually means, you know, for their organisations and the benefits that come from that. Um, not only in, you know, internally um, from an employer brand perspective, but thinking also about the external stakeholder community, and um, whether that be prospective employees, um, customers, mm -hmm. investors, obviously you know, the media are looking at it, even in some cases um, suppliers um, mm -hmm. uh, as well. And companies that have fewer than 250 employees, they can still opt to report, right? They can do. Are you seeing anyone actually doing that? Yeah, there. You know, I think there have been a number of um, organisations that have. So, I mean, if we think about um, within the sector, um, the Investment Association okay. um, decided that they were going to um, publish their gender pay gap report, which was a very brave move. And um, you know, this this methodology that's been adopted by the government is not perfect. Yeah. Um, and this is why 
you know, the narrative um, is so important. So actually having um, the document that goes with the data that gets submitted to the government to explain your gender pay gap report. And with statistics, um, the confidence levels in statistics um, is also directly linked to your sample size. Um, and with yeah. the, the Investment Association, um, I think when they published, they had um, 64 um, employees. So that's very small. So mm. basically what that means is that, you know, small movements and staff numbers can actually make a big difference in yeah. their gender pay gap report. Whereas if you, you know, look at somebody like HSBC with, say, you know, 10,000 employees, it's a much bigger sample size. So you need many more people to actually change at a senior level to actually then cha to change their numbers. And I think that this is something that has to, you know, be, be borne in mind. So the Investment Association um, is one example that I can think of within within financial services. But there are other organisations um, out there. I mean, we've been sort of in discussions with um, uh, one of the um, the RAP platform providers um, that, you know, I think that as an organisation, they've got a very strong social purpose and they also want to be seen to be doing, you know, the right thing. So they're doing it more from an employer brand's perspective. They want to be able to use it um, to demonstrate that, you know, we are an employer um, and we care about this. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're not massively under 250 employees, but they don't have 250 employees yet. Yeah, let's move on to the advice sector specifically then. Um, mm. And we've got a, f a few companies we might be able to talk about. Is that right? Yeah, Any so examples? I mean, I've sort of, we've been through actually and, um, and had a look um, at the sector. And um, within financial services, of course, you know, you do get businesses that are kind of, you know, multidisciplined. They might be, mm -hmm. um, you know, general insurance plus corporate IFA that's got maybe a bit of um, uh, an advice arm in there. Yeah. Um, you could have wealth managers that are sort of moving into the world of financial planning as well. Um, but really what we tried to do um, was to look at the pure play um, financial advice firms or businesses that provide services um, to financial advisors mm -hmm. and um, um, there are seven um, that sit uh, uh, on that list and um, that have reported uh, correct yep. yeah okay. yeah so there are seven um, and uh, and three of them uh, happen to be listed um, either on aim uh, or mm -hmm. the main the main stock exchange um, I think that through consolidation in the market uh, we might see a few more um, mm -hmm. reporting this year I think there's possibly another three or maybe four um, that must be getting close um, to 250 employees. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens on that. Mm -hmm. And the, the companies that don't report, um, is there a correlation between how bad the gap would be if they did and the fact that they're not reporting? It's difficult because, as I say, I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the smaller the organisation, um, you know, Small, small sort of you know, small, small changes within, or you know, from a demographic perspective, it doesn't take much to make it look yeah. as if they've actually got um, a fairly sort of you know large, um, large gender uh, gender pay gap report. Um, I think that all of the, according to the government, all of the organisations um, that should have reported um, did report. Okay. Um, so I think that you know they they, they, they see this very much as being um, a great success. Okay. Even although they have been very limited actually um, in terms of what they've been able to do if organisations um, don't report. Mm -hmm. So uh, if a, if an organisation doesn't report, then actually they could take them to court and um, they could fine them. Um, that process is expensive. It takes quite a lot of resources. 
Um, the responsibility for that um, right now lies for the um, the Equalities and Human Rights Commission. Yeah. And um, in all honesty, they're, they're, they're probably not in a position to do it. So they've sort of been relying sort of um, more um, uh, on you know, letters, warning letters. Um, you haven't reported, um, you must report. But also the media has mm. also had a huge um, and important role um, to play in all of this. And um, there have been a number of uh, publications out there um, that have been fairly consistent, or they were last year certainly very consistent on reporting um, on gender pay gap performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Financial Times, um, the Guardian, uh, and the Sunday Times, um, with you know, in addition to a whole load of other publications. But you know, if I could pick these three in particular, um, ran some very good and detailed analysis mm-hmm. um, on the gender pay gap numbers. Um, and they actually highlighted a number of organisations that have submitted improbable data. So that is one of the things that we have been seeing, is okay. that companies have just basically been sticking in any old number. Really? Absolutely. Any in financial services? Um, there, uh, it's a good question, actually. I mean, I could sort of um, um, fairly quickly and easily um, do that analysis to see um, if there are any. Um, but I can't think of any off the top of my head right now. I would. One thing I would say is, is that I think financial services, because financial services um, um, uh, companies operate in a regulated environment, they're quite used to having to deal with regulation. Yeah. So you know they, they you know they, they they they've already got you know people who can take responsibility for the reporting. Yeah. Um, there are some sectors where um, the quality of the reporting um, has been consistently poor, um, and you know it's within sectors where the organisations are typically um, uh, poorly managed. Well, I was going to say, actually, I mean, how much of a workload is it or how much of a drain is it on businesses? But I guess if people have always already got their compliance people doing FCA regulation stuff, then not so much, really. It can. I mean, it can be complex. Mm, um, yeah. I mean, it's in situations where if it's maybe um, a group structure, um, for example, then you will have to do multiple um, gender pay gap reports. Um, there might be situations where you've got, um, you know, salary sacrifice um, arrangements that have to be looked at quite carefully. Um, I think the one that really caused a lot of kind of, you know, um, head scratching and debate last year um, was actually um, within limited li- liability partnerships because mm-hmm. partners were excluded, um, and um, the big four and a number of law firms. Um, again, the press called them out and just said, you know, why are you not actually reporting mm-hmm. um, on your partner numbers? Um, these are the highest earners within your organisation. Um, and really, if you don't include them, then your data is somewhat kind of meaningless. Um, and off the back of um, that sort of, you know, that kind of media pressure, um, a number of them, all of the big four um, and a number of the, le- the leading law firms um, then actually re- you know, republished the reports and included mm-hmm. included the partner numbers in that. So. Yeah, but I think that within um, financial services, there aren't, um, I can't think of any LLPs um, at the moment. So I've been quite interested in um, gender lens investing recently. So uh, a form of impact investing where you, you put mm. a sort of gender lens over it, right? Yeah. Do you think this will have an impact on that kind or even the broader sort of ESG or impact investing if there's more knowledge about the gender structure of a company? Yep. easily accessible. Is that going to make any kind of an impact on looking to hold that company in a fund, perhaps? 
Yes, I mean, I think we're sort of, you know, we are fairly sort of early stage. Yeah. Um, there are a number of uh, indices out there. Um, Morgan Stanley Composite Index, um, they, they, they have an index. Um, Bloomberg have one. Yeah. Um, there's another organisation called um, uh, Equilar yeah. um, who also have one. And um, their data sits behind a number of um, sort of gender themed uh, ETFs. I think there are maybe about six. Um, out there in the market. Um, we've also got um, uh, Dame Helena Morrissey, um, LNG, um, yeah. who has her girl fund. Girl fund yeah. um, and, you know, we are beginning to see from investors much more interest in this from an ESG perspective. Mm -hmm. um, but it is very early. Um, and the reason it's early is because the data just isn't there um, right now. And also, um, there is still quite a lot of scepticism around this. So yeah. I know, for example, that a lot of, um, you know, new model advisor readers you know, the profile of the average business um, will really not see this as being something um, that's important at all. Well, we actually uh, um, polled them on Twitter, um, some of our readers, and uh, the question we put out there was, um, has the agenda surrounding gender pay gap reporting led you to do things differently at your firm, you know, even if you weren't required to file a report? Because obviously a lot of our readers are very small businesses. And 52% said not at all. Yeah. So... Yeah. I thought the number might have been higher than that. Well, yeah. I mean, 12% then, not really. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what was the sample size? How many people responded? Do you know? It's not... A, oh, 17. Right. So okay. not people aren't even interested in responding yeah. to the poll. And honestly, I mean, I think <laughs> that... You know, I think we have to look at this sensibly as well. Um, I think that... Um, you know, for small and medium-sized um, uh, enterprises, and in particular, you know, for a lot of small businesses, I mean, if you've got 10 employees, um, trying to address something like this um, is going to be difficult. And in reality, it's probably not going to be that, that, that important to you. Yeah. Um, you also have to think about the population and the demographics of that population as well. So there was a piece of research undertaken um, about six weeks ago, or certainly the findings were published about six weeks ago, that said that actually... People from their sort of um, um, sort of mid forties through to about sixty years old, that age group don't actually care that much about this um, mm. as, as an issue. Although that said, of course, a lot of senior executives within organisations fall into that category. But either side of that, um, so people who are retired, you know, many of whom, of course, you know, will be using a financial advisor, um, mm -hmm. um, <coughs> and also um, younger people, so you know, the, the millennials. They do care um, uh, about all of this. Yeah. Um, so that's got a couple of sort of um, angles that maybe advisors need to think about. One is from a client perspective, mm -hmm. the conversation that you're having about investments might be different, different because, you know, they care much more about social impact and yeah. issues like gender lens investing. So there's a marketing client proposition servicing opportunity there. But also in terms of how you would then attract people like that into your firm. So if you can demonstrate that actually, you know, we are forward thinking, you know, we do care about this. We don't have all of the answers right now, um, but it's something that does actually matter to us um, as a company, um, then you might have more of an opportunity of actually attracting maybe some better some better talent uh, mm -hmm. in, in, into your firm. Do you mind me asking why why you care about this and why you're... Um, it's a really good question, and I'll, and I'll be honest, you know, having sort of worked in the financial advice um, you know, market, the savings and investments market um, for such, you know, a long time, probably about sort of 20 years um, in total. Um, it's something that, you know, I was asked to, to get involved um, uh, in this business at a very, at a very early stage. And um, I think that for me, it, you know, 
gender balance really is the way that things should be anyway. I mean, the fact that, you know, and I think it's, it's unfortunate that there are males out there who still think that, um, you know, female, the role is very much um, uh, about the home and about mm-hmm. the family. And I do get that because that is also incredibly important. And I sometimes think that actually part of the reason we're having so many challenges in society at the moment is because of the breakdown of that kind of family structure. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, it really, you know, the woman plays um, probably the most important role um, in, in, in all of that. Um, but from my point of view, um, I think that where I really get passionate about this is because I've sort of you know, seen firsthand um, from my wife, um, who is not a UK national, came to the UK, um, studied, worked in asset management, um, got her IMC, got her MBA, and then worked really hard to then get her CFA, which is not, not an easy qualification mm-hmm. um, to pass. Got through all of that, two children, and then went back to work. And her, you know, I think the, 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 the sort of, you know, the boss, the guy that she was working for at the time, he was very much a sort of a traditionalist mm-hmm. um, as far as, you know, the role that men uh, and women should take. And, you know, that's fine. People can, can have these views. Um, but what it did mean for my wife was that, you know, having invest, invested all of this time and effort and qualifications and, in, and her career, all of a sudden, you know, it came, it just sort of ground to a halt. And she went back to work and uh, people who had, you know, less experience, not as well, well qualified, um, were then getting, you know, promoted past her. Mm-hmm. And this is really common. Yeah. Um, and I just think it's not right. You yeah. know, that is just not the way things should be. And um, I think that, you know, if I can do something through what we're doing here, you know, with data um, and actually highlighting organisations who do care about that and want to provide equal opportunities for men and women, um, and you know, if something good comes from that, then for me that'll be that'll be positive. Mm-hmm. And you have been quite outspoken on this, and you've written for New Model Advisor before um, about this. Do you think it helps being a man? I mean, do people take this more seriously when you're telling them about it? I mean, just to be really blunt here, but it's really interesting because there are there are two of us in the company um, mm-hmm. right now, and we're both guys. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, my business partner in this used to be, uh, he, was, he was in the RAF for 25 years. And uh, in the latter stage, he was a, a fighter pilot, but in the latter stages of his career, he spent quite a lot of time looking at STEM and thinking about what the RAF needed to do to basically sort of, you know, make it, um, um, make it kind of um, uh, more attractive. So, yeah, I mean, I think um, sometimes people go... Yeah, okay. There's you know you you you're kind of two guys um, in, involved in this, but I think we have also spoken to a number of um, uh, very influential females in this area as well, and they say actually you know it's great that you're involved in this because big part of the problem is is that you know we need more men. You know I think a lot of people look at this and say this is a women's problem that needs yeah. to be solved. It's not right. Yeah. This is not a problem with women. Um, this is a problem um, about. Um, how or, how organisations um, are actually run, and it is you know it's an it's an equal opportunities um, and problem. So I think that certainly from our point of view, um, it does actually help us in some respects. You know that we're a couple of guys out there, and we're actually saying that you know this is not right, and things um, things need to be changed. I think that um, in the past, what we have seen is that um, there are some um, females who are overly kind of passionate um, about this. Um, and actually, when, when you know when you, when you've got that, sometimes that can actually put um, CEOs off because they just say, "I've spoken to a number of people about this issue," and they build a profile and an image of 
you know, what that sort of group might be, mm -hmm. um, and perhaps a little bit kind of too radical. Um, I think what we are trying to do is actually just to bring this back and say, this just makes good business sense. It yeah. makes good sense from a societal perspective. And in the longer term, okay, it's not going to show any immediate results, but in the longer term, this is going to help your business and it's just a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, is there anything else you think our listeners should, should know about? Yeah, I mean, I thought just to sort of provide you really just with a bit of a, you know, a flavour um, uh, of the numbers. And um, I mean, we can also talk through a couple of examples of um, gender pay gap reports. Yep. Um, really just to sort of, you know, have a bit of a, um, an understanding of the type of information and the content um, mm -hmm. that gets included um, uh, within them. So um, looking at the seven that have reported um, if we have a look at, um, so the overall um, sector average for last year, um, uh, if we're looking at the median gender pay gap report, which is probably the sort of the more accurate of the mm -hmm. two numbers, there can be big differences between the mean and the median. The mean, um, what that, if you, and if you do get a big difference between the two numbers, then it means that you've probably got a number of um, male executives at the top of that organisation who are earning um, huge sums of money, you know, okay. and much more than anybody else, and that's why you can get big kind of variances in that number. So the median um, is probably a better number to look at. So the median gender pay gap um, within the advice firm across these seven firms is 36.4%. Um, now that compares to an overall um, sector average of 22%. Um, mm -hmm. If we look at the bonus gap, um, the bonus gap um, for the seven firms um, was an average of 53.6%, again on a, on a median basis. Um, against a sector average of thirteen point two. Oh wow! So actually, the you know the advice sector, and albeit you know we're talking about a very very small sample here. Yeah. Um, but across these firms, um, there is quite a bit um, of work um, that needs to be done. Um, although that said, you know there are you know there are one or one or two of them in there um, that do have some um, you know some some very good um, some very good results. Mm -hmm. Okay. So to give you an example um, of, a, of, a, of a good report, and this narrative um, is something that the government, it's not a legal requirement to submit the narrative. Um, companies don't have to put a report together, um, but the guidance that was provided was that um, you should do it to explain you know, what, what your position is, yeah. um, what your gender pay gap is, why you have it. What you're going to uh, what what you're going to do about it? So I went through and uh, had a look at all seven um, uh, of these reports, mm -hmm. and um, I thought it might be good just to sort of give you um, an example of um, the longest one here. Um, it does belong to uh, one of the one of the listed organisations. Um, the first thing to point out is that the the chief executive um, is you know he's written a forward for it, so that demonstrates that actually do you know what you know they are taking it seriously. Yeah. Um, group CEO um, cares about this. Um, they then go on to talk about um, their approach um, to um, inclusion um, and diversity um, and they've got a number of um, things in there um, that they're doing. Um, I think the most, you know, one of the most important ones um, is that they want to um, improve the measurement uh, and the monitoring of diversity. And I think that one of the sort of um, the issues that we're seeing at the moment is, is that you know, organisations are trying to do things, but they're not measured and they're not monitored and they're not sponsored by senior executives um, within the business. Um, and that's something that's really important. So they've got the measurement um, and they're also involved in a number of um, industry initiatives, okay. a diversity yeah. pro project, Women in Finance Charter, 
um, and uh, an investment uh, investment 2020. And then they go on and sort of you know talk um, a little bit um, uh, about a couple of these. Um, they then talk about um, what the gender balance looks like um, within the organisation. Um, their CEOs, the executive <coughs> sponsor for diversity, and then in terms of the rest of the um, the executive committee, they've also been set with uh, with objectives and they've, they've all got responsibility in this area. Um, and really, that's kind of what what you're looking for. So these are characteristics of an organisation that actually um, does this. You know, does take it quite seriously. Um, they explain their gender pay gap. Um, they also, um, um, you know, provide sort of you know further understanding of what the gender pay gap legislation um, is all about. Um, and then, lastly, um, they also talk about what they're then going to do um, to tackle the gap. And they've actually included some numbers in here, so they've actually got their targets. Okay, so um, they can refer back to that this year, then. They could do, and that's quite a brave move, actually. Yeah. Um, because there's a number of different things that can actually sort of impact your gender balance within within your organization mm -hmm. um, and to actually sort of um, nail a number to the mast on this and say this is what we're going to aim for is uh, is pretty brave mm -hmm. um, if I compare that to another one uh, of the um, the listed um, uh, advice firms um, their report really just sort of ran to two pages right um, explained a little bit about um, their numbers um, um, the fact you know they have said that you know this is something that we do sort of um, you know, take seriously. Where was that presented co compared to the other one? Was it clearly on their website? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. they're both kind of correct. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, if you go into the search bar, you can find it. Okay. Um, one of the companies um, chose not to publish um, uh, any narrative, any report, um, and I think that you know where you've got that, you sort of then got to say well. Why is that the case? Is this something that um, just doesn't matter to them as a company? They don't see it as being important. Um, you then need to think about what that then means for their, you know, for for their employer brands. Um, it is a successful organisation. Um, um, you know, I think recently its performance has been pretty good. So maybe they just feel that actually, in terms of you know our future, it's really not something that's going to make you know a huge amount of difference to us. And even although we haven't been talking about it. It is still something that we care about and we've got initiatives running um, in the business. The only other thing to say is that um, the government also did provide some, you know, some very good guidance around um, for organisations that want to close the gap. Okay. Um, what are the things that, um, you know, and they, they undertook a very, very good piece of research, actually. Um, and they looked at all of the things that organisations were doing to understand, you know, what was working and what wasn't working. Mm -hmm. So there were a number of actions um, that came out with mixed results, um, and um, that was all largely based around uh, around training. And we see a lot of this happening, where an organisation will say, "Right, we need to change. What we're going to do? Um, right, we will um, uh, organise training for everyone. Um, unconscious bias training, diversity training. Right, like most training courses, you walk into the room, you learn about something, you walk out." It means something to you for a few days and then yeah. you forget about it and then you just kind of go back. Mm -hmm. um, really what you need to think about doing um, is an awful lot more than that. And um, things like, for example, um, introducing you know, mentoring programmes, um, encouraging the uptake of shared um, parental leave, thinking about um, you know, returners and having a returner programme. Mm -hmm. um, a big one is actually uh, around the introduc introduction of agile working. Okay. So this isn't working from home? It, yeah, and agile working is different to flexible working. Okay. So what you find in organisations is that you will have people that will take advantage of flexible working and those that don't. The people that take advantage of flexible working may also still find themselves at a disadvantage. 
Okay. Um, you can be discriminated against um, by taking advantage um, of that because you might get some individuals who will just think, well, you know, if you need flexible working, it's because you know maybe you're just not as committed as we would like you to be. Agile working means that the whole organisation works in the same way, so you don't have any okay. discrimination through that. And you're right, working from home is a big part of it. Technology plays a big part mm -hmm. in it. And we're seeing companies like, for example, you know, Deloitte, um, the consultancy firm, um, uh, are you know been doing a lot, a lot of work in this area, both internally but also um, with clients as well. Um, so yeah, more forward-thinking organisations are actually changing working practices um, to sort of you know support. Um, gender balance um, uh, within their organisations. Um, there are other things that can be done as well, like for example, the number of um, women that you include within um, recruitment um, shortlists. Um, you know, use a skill-based assessment um, uh, in, in recruitment as opposed to just having a sort of you know general conversation with somebody um, who's your who's your mate. Um, mm. Structured interviews, um, much more transparency around um, recruitment. Promotion, pay. And there's things about the way job descriptions are worded and things Correct. like that as well, right? Yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of words in there that might, you know, put, put a female off. off. Mm -hmm. um, especially, you know, things like, um, you know, looking for somebody that's got lots of drive, it's an ultra competitive environment, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then lastly, just some essential actions. As I mentioned, I mean, I think that, you know, the first report that we talked about with the CEO. Um, being there and being behind it and having written the forward, you've got to have the board on board um, mm -hmm. for all of this. You know, they, they've, they've got to take responsibility for it. Um, the next bit is then around um, collecting the data, measuring progress and then reporting on that on, on a fairly regular basis. And then the last bit is actually about culture, because I think the, the other really interesting thing about this area is that this does actually inform cult about the culture within an organisation yeah. as well. And... Um, you, you can have situations whereby you might have a good performing um, organisation, um, you might have an individual or a number of individuals um, you know, who in terms of their, you know, their, their numbers of performance metrics look good, but in terms of how they behave, maybe it's not quite conducive yeah. to what you would expect to see in an organisation that you know, cares about gender balance. So um, some organisations are going to have to think long and hard about you know the cultural issues and the cultural barriers that will have to be overcome, and that's that's a really tough one. You know that's something that can't be changed quickly and easily. Yeah, um, it takes time. Getting behind the numbers there. Absolutely. Well, I think action points are a good uh, way to end. Give mm. people something to take away and sure. think about. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, thanks very much for coming in today. Um, and that's all we've got time for. Um, do remember that if you like this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes. And if you are feeling generous, please leave us a review. Hopefully a good one. So until next time, uh, it's thanks and goodbye. <laughs>